The one and only Cliff Richard and the Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 15 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in allegedly chronological order. This month, we'll be covering The Young Ones and, of course, its soundtrack from 1961. But first, let's take a look at some of the feedback we received after our last episode about the 21 Today album with guest Darren Price of Cliff Richard Radio. In fact, we got a lot of reaction from that episode, so we'll pick and choose here from the We Say Yeah Facebook page, Dagmar Gothel, or is it Gettel, or is it Gotel, like Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is going to be on the new Christmas album. Uh, Dagmar writes, that was really fantastic. Such a happy and relaxed talk about an album I haven't listened to yet. Now I will, for sure. Let me just pause here. That's the whole point of the show right there. I mean, it's the whole point of the show is to listen to the music. So great, great, great. Glad you're doing that. I appreciate all the information and opinions of you both professional cliff experts. The joy and enthusiasm for Cliff and the Shads was almost visible to me. How great it would be to have the boss himself included. That would be a blast. Thank you so much for sharing your profound knowledge with us. I look forward to further reviews from you both. Yes, we'll, we'll definitely have Darren Price back on the show. Next up, Christine Smith over on our Podbean page for the show writes, Just stumbled across this, and as a lifelong Cliff fan, I'm ecstatic. I'm starting from podcast one. It's making me want to dig out all the old vinyl and play along as I listen with you. Thanks so much for this. Thank you for that message, Christine. And you know what? It's funny. I've been thinking of purchasing a vinyl copy of every single record we talk about on this program. And I don't even collect vinyl. I have no room for vinyl. So if I give in to this compulsion, it, it's just another step closer to the poorhouse for me because I can't afford any of this. Kitty in New Jersey writes, even though it was tough before the internet, I tried to keep track of Cliff all these years and was delighted when the internet grew and included so much information. I've spread his music everywhere I can here in the U.S. I'm proud to know that I've added a few new fans to the long list. It really burns me up how much they, music historians if you call them that, ignore him and leave him out of things, especially in England where he should be lauded as a national treasure. I enjoy your podcast every month and have actually learned several new things. Please keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Kitty. And, you know, I could do a whole episode about why Cliff and the Shads have been seemingly left out of the music history books by so-called rock experts and music historians. But I think what it all boils down to is that you and I and everyone else listening were just far more intelligent people than they are. That might come off as egotistical, but sometimes the truth hurts. Ian, in Canberra, Australia, I'm probably mispronouncing that. All I do is mispronounce things on this program. Ian, in Canberra, Australia, also sent me an email over at podcast at gmail.com. And it's a long email, but there's a portion of it that I wanted to read to you. In episode 14, when discussing the track Shame on You, you mentioned it was written by Hank Marvin, Bruce Welsh, and Kevin Jacobson. You didn't know who Kevin Jacobson was. One of Australia's first big rock and roll stars was 
Carl Joy, real name Colin Jacobson. His group was the Joy Boys, who had several hits of their own. Two of Carl's brothers, Kevin and Keith, were in the Joy Boys. Carl and Kevin later started ATA Records and became big promoters in Australia. Carl Joy released Shame on You in Australia, but with the title Naughty Girls. The authors given on his single are Marvin, Welsh, and Joy. Keep the podcast coming. It's good, informative listening. Thank you, Ian. And as I always say, you folks listening, you educate me too. So it's a two-way street here. I, I, I learned so much, and hopefully you learned something too. Finally, Richard Stedman in New Zealand sent a message through the We Say Yeah Facebook page messenger thingy. And it's another lengthy email, but I'll, I just want to read this highlight here. Uh, another piece of useless information. There was a group called The Shadows before Bobby V and his brother adopted the name. Bob Lumen's group was called The Shadows when he moved to Hollywood and were backing him in the movie Carnival Rock. Lumen formed a backup band called The Shadows, including James Burton on guitar, James Kirkland on bass, and Butch White on drums. In 1957, the band signed with Imperial Records, where they recorded all night long backed with Red Cadillac and a Black Mustache and Amarillo Blues. Burton and Kirkland subsequently created the sound on many Ricky Nelson hits and albums. They were a favorite of Hank and the Boys, who had attempted to sound like them but found their own sound. Sometimes I think I can hear the influence on tracks like Now's the Time to Fall in Love. You've taken on a mammoth task, and I love the comparisons that you make along the way. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Richard Stedman, New Zealand. Thanks so much for all of that feedback, folks, and keep it coming. I hope to hear from you again after this episode. So if I said to you that this month we're going to talk about the movie The Young Ones and its soundtrack album, I bet there are folks listening in Britain particularly, but all around the world, who would be saying, oh my gosh, I've seen that movie 300 times. I, I, it's been on TV ever since I was a kid. What if we got some fresh ears and eyes on The Young Ones? Jamie Kay is a friend of mine. She's the host of the Jungle Room podcast, an Elvis-centric podcast I've listened to for years and years. And I figured, given her insight into Elvis Presley's movies, maybe, just maybe, she'd enjoy her first ever Cliff Richard movie. Well, it's about time I had you on this program, Jamie Kay, because you are the first person I told that I was starting up a Cliff Richard in the Shadows podcast. Was I? Yes. Wow. Well, I'm honored. I didn't know I was the first. Yeah. When I was on the uh, YouTube iteration of the Jungle Room podcast and we did that episode about Cliff, I remember at the end of that, we'd stopped recording, but I had said uh, I was thinking about doing a, a Cliff and the Shads podcast like your Elvis podcast. I think you were. Yeah. yeah. So tell us that story. Tell us about the Jungle Room podcast and how it started. Well, I was raised on Elvis. My mom was an avid Elvis fan. She loved Elvis, so I grew up on Elvis. And long story short, I was looking to do a podcast. I was in radio at the time, and I was very into podcasts. They, they were intriguing to me. And I was talking to her one day, and I said, you know, I would love to do a podcast. And I was giving her all these ideas of what I was thinking about doing. And she said, why don't you just do an Elvis podcast? And already I had been doing some things on the side dealing with Elvis. 
And she gave me the idea, and I just ran with it. So uh, the Jungle Room podcast started with 15, 20-minute episodes back in 2018. And it's evolved into numerous things. Um, Right now, I'm mainly just on TikTok because I moved across the country. And until I get my studio set up, uh, I will be bringing the podcast itself back. But right now, so I won't be forgotten, you can find me on TikTok at Jungle Room Lady. And there what I do is just, you know, brief little videos weekly, uh, Elvis trivia. I also do theories uh, on Elvis's relationships because if you follow me, you know I'm really into Elvis and his women, right. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I find... I find that very fascinating, uh, his his many relationships and how he chooses each lady. I find that very interesting. And obviously, TikTok is where all the young people go. So you're ahead of the curve. That's, you know, that's the new thing, TikTok. Yeah, I, I don't think my, my kids appreciate that I'm on TikTok now, <laughs> but I think they would rather I stick to, you know, Facebook or just, I think they would rather me just be off social media altogether, <laughs> right. to be honest. One of my sons were was like jungle room lady, really. <laughs> well, I always ask our guests what their Cliff Richard and the Shadows story is. I think in your case, it's a unique situation because prior to our conversation about Cliff on the Jungle Room podcast, your familiarity with Cliff and the Shadows was Neil. I knew nothing about him. I I did not know anything about Cliff Richard. You're the one that has schooled me on him. Okay, so I know you've seen all the Elvis movies, but this would have been the first Cliff Richard movie musical you'd ever seen, correct? Yes. How would you compare the young ones to an Elvis film? Well, I guess it would depend on which Elvis film, because we do know that some of the Elvis films were silly. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but, you know, there there are a few, like Kissing Cousins. That's one that was, you know, kind of silly. Um, I, I would say they're comparable, but with the one that you sent me that we're going to be discussing, right? I was actually trying to think of one Elvis movie that was similar, and I, I couldn't think of one. <laughs> uh, it was different. It, it had a different flair. I felt like Elvis movies, the audience was getting older, and I felt like this movie, it was definitely for young people. Yeah, and I think for me, the the big difference really, I mean, yes, half of this movie, especially when Cliff and the Shadows do the rock and roll numbers, half of it is like a rock and roll jukebox musical of the time. But the other side of this movie has one foot in the MGM big-budget Hollywood musicals of the past because... There are elaborate song and dance numbers where you have the, the entire cast doing choreography, including Cliff. <laughs> I, I, especially the scene where he's on the lamppost and he's twirling around. Yes, right. <laughs> Space, they said we'd never win. They said around the earth a man could never spin. Ever heard of Major Gagarin? You, you see, see nothing, nothing is impossible. Impossible? impossible? Never. never. And something else, too, and this doesn't happen with Elvis movies, but I think Cliff movies, especially this one, The Young Ones, gets mocked for being, like, too wholesome, you know? Well, wholesome until 
the star. Oh, yes. Adele. Yeah, I mean, could her boobs get any higher? Right. I mean, really. <laughs> exactly. So The Young Ones had its London premiere on December 13th, 1961. The album that we're going to talk about, and, and we kind of talk about the film as we go through the songs, really, uh, released two days later, December 15th, 1961. The album shot to number one in the UK and stayed there for a while. I will say that the actress who played... Cliff's girlfriend in the movie, Carol Gray, she was dubbed. So the singer is actually Grazina Frame. Every time you hear or see her singing, it's actually somebody else. So the now, ba- does Carol Gray sing? Because they would dub, you know, Ava Gardner as an example. Right. She actually had a lovely voice, but they would dub her as well. Could Carol Gray sing? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea if, uh, I'm assuming not, uh, but then again, who knows? Like you said, um, mm-hmm. I know she screamed well. She did a lot of horror movies, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I like her presence on screen. She's very beautiful. She has very beautiful eyes. Yes, Carol she does. Gray, I, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. But she seems considerably older than Cliff in the movie. Yeah, she did. Now, that might be because he looks about 12. I, yeah. I actually think she's maybe two years older than him, not that much. Um, anyway, the plot of The Young Ones, nightclub singer Nikki, played by Cliff, and his friends try to save their youth club from the bulldozer by putting on a big variety show, but the developer who wants to tear down the uh, youth club is actually Nikki's father. That's the big twist. And it starts off with this big production number called Friday Night, which is performed by the ABS Orchestra and the Mike Sams Singers. And this was written by the screenwriters, Peter Myers and Ronald Cass. And right away with this number, and Cliff is not on this, um, the young ones seems more like it's going for a West Side Story type of feel. I like it as, uh, you know, as an opening number. It sets the stage for... What's going to happen next? It's Friday night. Got to go home now. Get myself so smartly dressed. This is the night to look your best. So see you at the dance tonight. Hey, come on, mate. Lend me a comb now. I'm the bloke they're going to choose. Shine up me wrinkle picker shoes. So see you at the dance tonight. When I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, is this how it's going to be <laughs> the whole movie? <laughs> and that sort of morphs into the scene at the youth club. And we see Cliff on stage with the shadows. They're doing a song called Got a Funny Feeling, which was re- recorded on May 19th, 1961, the album version anyway. This is written by two of the shadows, Hank Marvin and Bruce Welsh. It works well in the movie as our introduction to Cliff, just sort of setting him apart from the big production number that just happened, you know, that this is why they hang out at the club. I think it's an okay rock song, and the way the scene is lit and the way the whole thing is staged and choreographed, it helps it along. It's not one of my favorites, but I think it works well in the movie. Cause I got a You're the one. Don't try to run. 
know, when I was watching it, I thought to myself, man, I wish I would have known about this movie when I was growing up. I could have totally seen myself loving this movie as a young girl. I, I would have been all over this movie. I thought he was cute. Okay. I, I love these kind of movies. And even as a teenager, you know, I thought I was a dancer and a singer, and I'm not either. So, oh, that's right. You are the, I forget, we, we have to mention this. You are the queen of lip syncing. I am. I am. I could, I could have been Carol Gray. Right, now that absolutely. I know that she, uh, she was lip syncing. I, I could have played that role. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to say something here a little controversial, especially to Elvis fans, but I, I want to get your take on this. So I think in this kind of wholesome family entertainment type of film, I think Cliff is better suited to this type of movie than Elvis, especially in some of Elvis's later movies that were that are of this genre, where it seems like he's kind of irritated or somewhat checked out. Right, and you hit on something, because when you're watching Cliff in this movie and really all the actors in this movie, there is a joy that comes across. They really are into it. Whereas some of the Elvis movies, you can tell that he's very complacent and he's just reciting the lines. Because we, I, I believe Elvis was a good actor. I think he just didn't get the opportunity to showcase his acting skills. We see it in... Um, King Creole is a good example. Live a little, love a little. We got to see Elvis show some of his comedic timing. With Cliff Richard in this movie, you, you see him really enjoying himself. And you kind of get swept into the movie because of that joy with all of the cast. You're right. And that joy is so infectious that whatever shortcomings this movie has, like the music hall sequence that goes on a little too long... Um, that joy helps to elevate the material. You know, I, this is a good movie, but it's made better by the performances in it. So we have some instrumentals on this soundtrack album. Not too many. Two from The Shadows, both of them written by their producer, Nari Paramore. And the first one is called Peace Pipe, recorded on May 25th, 1961. This is my favorite Shadows instrumental. I think this is such an incredible dreamlike otherworldly uh -huh. performance it's <laughs> it's in the stratosphere i i think hank's lead guitar has never sounded better uh up to this point on a record it's a classic that's all i can say As much praise as I just lavished on that track, uh, these instrumentals are treated more or less as incidental music in the background in this movie. So um, if you don't remember this particular cut, it's okay. I don't really remember that part. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, no, actually, I'm, what I'm thinking about is the scene with 
Is her name Adele? It's Adele, right? Well, we'll get to it. We'll get, and it's Dorinda Morell. That's the name of the character. We'll get to it in just a moment. But I do want to mention to the audience that we're going to revisit these two Shadows instrumentals, Peace Pipe and The Savage, on next month's program with our guest, Pat Murphy. So uh, for folks who want more commentary on that, it's coming. It's coming. I do want to point out, though, that it's great to have Melvin Hayes and Richard O'Sullivan in the cast, but you do wonder why the Shadows themselves, uh, you know, Hank Marvin's a funny guy. You do wonder why they weren't given more of a, a bigger role uh-huh. in this uh, in this movie. Anyway, then we get to what, for me, is the highlight of the entire film. It's the song Nothing's Impossible, written by Peter Myers and Ronald Cass, recorded between August 9th and the 14th, 1961. Here we get some of that MGM musical feel that I mentioned earlier, this singing in the rain type of choreography with Cliff and Carol Gray dancing in the rain-soaked streets and it's so cinematically beautiful and it's magical and and literally because magic things happen during this production number cliff waves his hand and and flowers appear and then he flies over a gate it's always so easy saying something can't be done but don't they realize there's always a prize to be won At which point someone went out and did it. The city of Jericho could not defeat, and that's why Jericho was at town retreat. And just at that moment, those trumpets hit that rock and roll beat. And down came the, the wall as you doubtless recall with an almighty fall proving once and for all. And then he disappears. Right, yes. He just, he just vanishes. He just, he's no longer there. And I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, I wonder if he has magical powers. Like, I thought that was going to be the twist. (laughs) Yeah. He's actually a a mutant. Then we get to the title song, written by two names that will be familiar to Elvis fans the world over, Sid Tepper and Roy C. Bennett. This was recorded on May 23rd, 1961. This is the scene where he and Carol Gray are going to what looks like, I don't know, I guess a lake resort. And he's singing this song to her about how one day they'll have young ones of their own and there are children that gather around them. When strings were added to the single version, this was a number one hit. I love that song. I actually, because the DVD that you sent me, you know, when you put it in, it plays. So, and I was having a hard time using a DVD player because I haven't used one in a long time. (laughs) So I obviously got to, that song is playing in my head right now. No wonder you were so reluctant to have this DVD sent to you. I guess it's been a long time (laughs) since a lot of people have used DVDs. In the U.S., when The Young Ones was released in the U.S., uh, there were other movies with similar titles, like The Defiant Ones. There was even a movie called The Young One, Mm -hmm. uh, directed by Luis Buñuel. 
And as a result, the title was changed to Wonderful to be Young, which meant a new title song written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. It is rare for me to say that a Burt Bacharach and Hal David song is weak, but this is one of those occasions I am not a big fan of this song. It's wonderful to be young In love with life If life's a mystery, who cares? As long as I have you, our love will always see us through. And it's wonderful to be young, no doubts, no fears. However, despite the title change, despite the new song, the young ones, the song was covered by an American artist, a female singer named Kathy Carroll, and it came out on Warner Brothers. The young ones, darling, we're the young ones. And young ones shouldn't be afraid to live. liked it but I, I like cliff richards cliff richards virgin better did okay. I say that right? Yeah, Cliff's you did. Richard's, <laughs> you did. Cliff's Richard's version. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's pleasant to hear, and it's a curio, that's for sure. And it does start this trend. You know, before, the criticism of a lot of early British rock and roll acts is that they were just covering American hits. Now, the reverse is happening. Now we're getting songs that were hits in England, and now we have American artists seeking those songs out and covering them in the U.S. And in a little bit, we're going to find out about someone who had a big hit uh -huh. with a song from this movie, and it wasn't Cliff. So then we get to a song called All for One, written again by Peter Myers and Ron Cass, August 9th, 1961. This is the first number in the movie where Cliff is performing with the entire cast and of the songs in the movie that are like this these show tune ensemble pieces this is i think the best one and it's evidence that had cliff wanted to in 1961 he could have easily moved into starring in west end musicals or starring on broadway and what they say is gonna win the day for me and thou and thee and also you One, one for all, let our voices unite for, all for one, one for all, now we've something to fight for, fair or foul may be the weather. Oh, most definitely. And it's interesting that he never went that route, because... He seems really in his element. It seems like he just did it so naturally. Well, he did star in pantomimes during the 60s, which I guess are close. <laughs> but later on, it would be later on that he would appear in two big-budget substantial musicals. One was a musical version of Wuthering Heights called Heathcliff, and the other one was called Time, where he played a rock star who had to intercede on behalf of the Earth to stop aliens from blowing 
the planet up. So it was it was very complicated. Well, thing. Very realistic. Right, right. So then we get to the song that you also referenced, and this is one of my favorites in the movie, Lessons in Love, written by Cy Soloway and Shirley Wolf. This was recorded August eleventh, nineteen sixty one, and this is your favorite scene in the movie. This is at first Cliff singing it to Carol Gray, and then the movie star comes in and she takes over and seduces Cliff. First you cuddle up beside me nice and near Then you whisper all the things I long to hear That's the first lesson in love when she comes in and she takes over Carol Gray's number. Right. And the the touchy and, uh, I, I mean, I was literally, like, I found myself hypnotized, like, with her nails and her, her boobs up to her chin and... And him with his hands in his pocket, trying not to act like he's enjoying it, but you know he's enjoying it. Right. The way she was manhandling him, you know, dipping him. I was waiting for her to pick him up and, like, twirl him over her head. It was a little scary. This is actually a uh, cover song by a U.S. singer named Jerry Lynn Fraser. The Kalen twins also performed this song, and a little after this version by Cliff Richard and the Shadows was popular, the Allisons, the British duo the Allisons, had a uh, hit record, a mild hit record with it. But here's a little mystery about this song. It ends with the curious expression, Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. Baby, love me do. Now, as far as I know, this is the first time that expression was ever used in a song. Love me do. It's kind of an odd saying. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, now the original record must have come out around 1959, 1960. Cliff's version would have been 61. The Beatles released their song, Love Me Do, in 1962. But I know it was written a few years prior to that. But when exactly could they have seen the young ones heard this song and incorporated that phrase into their own song. Love me do. Ooh, love me do. Yeah, love me do. Ooh, 
Yeah. Because love me do is not a common phrase yeah. that people just go around saying. Right. I mean, who says that? It's like... Uh, love me do. Right. Uh, you know, it's like lunch me do. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, after that scene... Then we get Carol Gray lip-syncing to the hopelessly devoted-to-you moment of this movie. The song's called No One For Me But Nikki. Because there's no one for me No one but Nikki No other boy Gives me that thrill Yeah, and then she did the the dramatic walk off, right? And then stares, and then keeps looking back, and then at the end of the scene, she's got the tears. Um, I really like this, and I've never seen this in a movie. They silhouette her in red, mm. and it. Did you notice that? Like as she's walking out, like everything's red except for like a circle, and she's just in the circle. Did you notice that? I, no, I didn't. And I, and I mean, I watched it recently. I'll have to watch it again. She gave up too quickly yeah. with that, you know. I didn't really buy it. I felt like she was just kind of feeling sorry for herself when she was singing that song. Yeah, I mean, the whole stomp off. I'm like, come on. Like, you, you, look, you're t- you could take her. Right, absolutely. And wouldn't that have been a great ending to, to the movie? Then we get to, and I referenced this before, the vaudeville sequence. I would imagine that parents who took their kids to this movie, maybe even grandparents, enjoyed this segment the most. They probably thought, oh, finally, some decent entertainment, because here was this big tribute to the music hall era. And for me, I understand why it's there, and I, I'm sure people loved it, but um, it just goes on way too long. It, it it did go on way too long. I I think I drifted off a little bit. Yeah. A couple of now, when Cliff was invited to be on the Ed Sullivan Show, his first time on the program, he was on with the cast, and they recreated this sequence for television, and it created the wrong impression, really, that Cliff was a musical theater actor rather than uh, a rock and roll singer. Did he ever comment about his appearance on Ed Sullivan and having to do that number? Yes, he was very disappointed. Cliff... And the Shadows just had a string of astonishing bad luck trying to break into America. In fact, the very next song on this album is another situation where Cliff wound up being unlucky. I really enjoy, and I, I think it's the most Elvis-like number on here. It's a Tepper and Bennett song. When the girl in your arms is the girl in your heart. It's the big 
love ballad from this movie, uh, recorded on January 30th, 1961. It was released as a single. It shot up to number three on the charts. Cliff was never a big fan of this song for some reason. I don't know why, because I think it's a pretty good song, and I could imagine Elvis singing it. When the girl in your arms is the girl in your heart, then you've got everything. When you're holding the dream you've been dreaming, you'd hold. And I actually like that song. I actually could see his charisma i could see why people were really into him and and that was the song that kind of drew me in yeah i don't know i don't know why he was he's never been fond of it there's quotes from him saying you know he feels obligated to do it in concerts but he doesn't really like the song and uh, i don't know why <laughs> i mean it's a pretty good song but yeah. i know that he was disappointed because Connie Francis recorded a version of it. She was on tour in the UK making personal appearances and she heard the song on the radio, loved it, went back to America, recorded her cover version of it, and it went to the top 10 in the US before Cliff's version could come out in the US. So once again, that string of bad luck continues. When you're holding the dream, you've been dreaming, you'd hold. You're as rich as a king So hold him tight And never let him go Day and night I liked it. I like Connie Francis. But I like Cliff better. I don't know if it was because it reminded me of Elvis. I, I really don't think so. I just, I really liked it. That's good. That makes two of us. Then on the album, we get to a song, presumably by the Associated British Studio Orchestra, along with the Mike Sam singers called Mambo. This is just a piece of incidental music heard in the film. If you're shy at romance, what you can say, you dance, hold me close and at nights. Don't try and say it. Dance. Mambo needs percussion. That's why there's no time for discussion. It's not something that I found particularly memorable. It's pleasant enough. I don't know. Do you even rem- remember this? <laughs> I, I remember it, but it didn't leave an impression right, on me. Right. It was kind of like I thought it was a transition and, you know. Yeah, it's just like soundtrack filler. I'm sure somebody yeah. out there is a fan of it. Then we get the next to last cut on the album, which is an instrumental by The Shadows called The Savage. This and the other song we mentioned, Peace Pipe, were both written by Cliffs and The Shadows producer, Nari Paramore, and uh, The Shadows had success with this song. It was released as a single, and it got to number 10 on its own. So as an instrumental, it was uh, successful. This is sort of the rockin' number they do right before 
Cliff comes out and sings at the end at the at the big show. I don't know if it made any impression on you at all. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. You know, because, again, when you're watching a movie like this, you might uh, you might focus primarily on your lead actor, who comes out and yeah. sings the final song, which, obviously, I named this podcast after the final song. We Say Yeah, written by Bruce Welsh, Hank Marvin, and Peter Gormley, their manager, this was recorded on July 28, 1961. It was released as the B-side to the single The Young Ones. And it's the big number at the end. You know, Cliff comes out and you get to see him for the first time in that movie. You get to see him perform like how he really did perform when he was going out and doing concerts around that time. Mommy says no. Daddy says no, brother says no, but they all gotta go, cause we say yeah, 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 we say yeah, 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 we say yeah, 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 we say yeah, yeah, if we didn't go ahead, if we thought of all they said, might as well give up, man, we might as well be dead. I loved it. I watched it twice, the ending scene. Mm. Um, again, not knowing anything about him, everything I know about him has come from you and just reading some things, trying to educate myself on him. I got it. Like, it was like, oh, I get it. Like, I could see. It's kind of sad, though, that a lot of uh, Americans don't know him because, I mean, he had that it factor. Well, I'll, I'll ask you the same thing I've asked other people, and it's been mentioned several times, and I, I, I guess there's some truth to it. The idea that Cliff didn't make it in America because we already had somebody like Ricky Nelson. I never would have thought that until you said it. I mean, no, I don't see. Maybe it looks. No, I, I don't. I would have never compared the two of them. That's fair. Jamie Kay, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us talking about your first impression of the young ones. I loved it. Uh, I, I really did. And thank you so much for having me on your show and sending me the movie and introducing me to Cliff Richard. Again, I want to thank Jamie Kay so much for appearing on the program this month and make sure to follow her, Jungle Room Lady, over on TikTok and keep up with her podcast, The Jungle Room. You can find that on Facebook as well. And next month, our guest, our returning guest, will be journalist Pat Murphy as we sift through. Did you hear that? There was a motorcycle that went by. I can never have peace and quiet. It's like the wild ones out there. You know, it's Brando and his buddies. 
we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of singles released by The Shadows over a short period of time. Singles and EPs, some of which feature the original lineup of The Shadows. Some have new members. So we'll talk about that next month. Keep up with the podcast over on our Facebook page, We Say Yeah, and you can subscribe on Apple and Podbean and Google Podcasts or wherever else you find this program. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a lot of fun. I sure did. And send me an email. It's we say yeah podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, as number six said, be seeing you. We say yeah. We say yeah. We say yeah.